Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. Mike, Mike, Mike. I am so excited this week. You're so excited. Yeah, number one, because uh, it's almost fall, and fall is my favorite time of oh, year. Oh, it is a nice time of year. The traditional fall just starts this weekend uh, with the Labor Day weekend here in the United States, and I just <laughs> love fall because that means we're getting closer to Halloween. That's right, and we're recording this on the Friday before Labor Day, so... Yes. We've got uh, the final summer weekend ahead of us here. But yeah, Halloween really is creeping up and I'm starting to see, you know, the Halloween candy and the costumes and things in the mm-hmm. stores. That, that always makes me excited. Yes. So I it's coming up on my favorite time of year and, and summer is OK. And I've learned to appreciate summer more as an adult. I hate I hate winter more and love summer more when yeah. I just kind of. Winter didn't bother me as a kid as much, but now I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait till the summer. I agree. Um, but I still get excited about the fall because that means the weather's going to be perfect. September is the best time to be in Wisconsin and the leaves are going to change and people are going to start dressing up like vampires uh, and not pe- and other people won't look at them weirdly. That's right. So that that is what I'm really excited about. So that's I'm excited about that this week. And I'm excited about something else. You are. Well, what could that yeah. possibly be? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It is another five-star oh. review. Oh, man. One, two, three, four, fifth, fifth-star review on uh, iTunes this week. Well, that's very exciting. I didn't, I didn't even know about it. Yes. From Walking Muppet. <laughs> Which is kind that's of great. funny because you think about it. Besides, like Sweetums, the huge Muppet, yeah. you don't see their legs. Like most, you never see their legs. So of course, I'm like walking Muppet. What does that mean? Oh my god, it's a Muppet with. Yeah, legs. like I used to like the very rare times on Sesame Street when Kermit. You know, you'd see him like pedaling a bike or something like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Or you know, when they sat on the rock, you know, he'd sit on a rock or whatever, mm-hmm. and somebody would have to like sneak their hand up behind the you know behind the rock. And everything. So the walking Muppet says, uh, see you on the next episode. Excellent, well researched, and funny. Hey, who knew? So yeah, so all <laughs> I gotta say is walking Muppet knows exactly what they're talking about. <laughs> Thank you, Walking Muppet. Thanks for taking the time to go into iTunes and leave us that review. Always appreciate that. Awesome. And anybody that decides to leave a five-star review on the tunes of I, we are always happy to read those on the air, especially if you have a clever name. We love (laughs) clever names. But any name will do. Right. Any name. Like, you don't have to change your name to be clever and wait to put a review on. Like, just you (laughs) should just make it happen. And we'll call you clever anyway, because you left a five-star review. Yes. So... Those are two things that I'm excited about. What are you excited about this week, Wendy? I got really excited about some of the news that came out this week. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. You know, radio signal from outer space. Oh, yeah, the radio <laughs> signal from outer space. It's always fun and, getting uh, news like that, you know, giving a little spark of hope that somebody out there is trying to reach us or trying to reach anyone. And this one in particular, too, because, you know, I comb the paranormal news 
every week. And we do. We have our. We see you on the other side. Uh, paranormal newsletter that goes out on yeah. Friday mornings, where you get the five uh, best paranormal stories every week. Plus, we sneak a paranormal song in there. A great paranormal song. This week's was Santeria. I think was the one, one because there was a Santa Santeria story coming out of Spain. But okay, so come the news, and every week there's some kind of, you know, alien. But it's all tabloids. Oh yeah, and every week they see something weird by yeah. the International Space Station, <laughs> and NASA shuts the video. NASA shuts video, you know, video feed down because. <laughs> UFO spotted by the International Space Station every right. single week. And I'm so I'm like, oh my God, it's here. We've got yes. it. We got yes. NASA. NASA by the short and curly. We oh, always Mike. wanted them. <laughs> and what happens is it's just all crap. Like it's never anything good. I watch these things. I get all excited and it's nothing. So this week, I let myself get excited because all the scientists were excited. Yeah. And that's a big deal. That is a big deal, I think. And I always get excited when news comes from SETI because I remember back when we were in college and the SETI screensaver came out and everybody had it running on their computer oh, yeah. and it was all like, yeah, yeah. we're going to help find aliens. Right. When I was working at the Division of Information Technology, University of Wisconsin, we ran all of the, uh, all of the, sh- like the showroom computers. <laughs> so like all the really fast yeah. ones, we would run SETI at home. So on. you were scooping up lots of points. Absolutely scooping up lots of points because we wanted to be the ones who, because you, you think, and this was 20 years ago, mine. So <laughs> oh. Every, yeah. So just spoiling. to let the people at home know, SETI at home was a thing called distributed computing. And what you would do is you would run uh, calculations on your computer when a screensaver would normally run. So instead of mystify your mind or, you know, the lava lamp or whatever was running on your screensaver, you would run SETI at home and would run calculations from these radio telescopes. And the thing is, we all thought, well, with this distributed computing and all this computing power over the world, we're going to be able to find the alien signal like this. Right. <laughs> we, we thought it would happen like in a week. No. Okay. In 20, 20 years later, we didn't find an alien. But? But the Russians did. So, um, well, let's get right into it. Okay. The signal detected in 2015, Russian astronomers were using this... Uh, Radio telescope in, you know what? And I'm going to butcher this name. Okay. But that's okay. So I'm going to make, uh, should I say it like Boris? Yeah, from? you should. <laughs> Zelian Chukiskaya at the foot of the Caucasus Mountains north of Georgia. Uh, the discovery drew notice because of the signal's design and quote unquote beam shape. And uh, that was directly, that's a direct quote from Seth Shostak, who we've talked about on the show before, but he's kind of the, He's the senior astronomer at SETI. It's a search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And um, he's, he's kind of the voice. So whenever people think SETI, they kind of think Seth Shostak because he's the face that's always on television and radio okay. when it comes to that. So the signal came from the star system HD 164595, which I think I just bought that camera. And I'm actually. about to go buy that lottery ticket. <laughs> and oh my god that's right There's, you know 164595 you guys put that into lotto and see if it wins this week because we could have won the cosmic that's lottery right. it's it sits in the hercules constellation and it's got a star that's about the same size as our sun so um that that's what was a big deal because yeah. this came out that the russians announced that they had heard something okay. And so this is the latest signal. 
that might have come out. But the thing is, if it is an alien signal, to come from that far away, the kind of transmission it was, it would require an enormous amount of energy. Like, they said so much energy, it, it would require basically harnessing the power of the sun. Wow, okay. that's <laughs> a substantial amount of energy. When I say harnessing the power of the sun, I'm not talking about <laughs> like a solar-powered calculator. You mean the entire sun itself. I mean, I mean a whole sun. Not a little sun rays. I'm not talking about, uh, I mean, I think Elon Musk is great and those rechargeable batteries and solar batteries are going to be great. But this is like surrounding the sun and a, a, a Dyson sphere uh, civilization. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. We're, we're, well, we're going to get to that. Sure. We're going to get to that in a second. Now, the, uh, the kind of civilization that would have to be would, number one, have to have the technology to be able to harness the power of an entire uh, star, which is a huge deal. And there's a guy back in the 60s, another Russian, by the name of Kardashev, who developed a scale uh, kind of based on the kind of technology that a civilization would have. So the Kardashev scale is, are these different types of civilizations, and he uh, ranked them based on the magnitude of power available to them. Now, a type one civilization, according to uh, this Kardashev character, is a civilization that can harness the power of their entire planet. Okay, so it's a little past where we are. Um, we can't kind of harness all of the energy of the entire planet. We, we're working on it, <laughs> but we can't do it. Now, a type two civilization is capable of harnessing the energy radiated by its own star. For example, the stage of the successful construction of a Dyson sphere. So a Dyson sphere is a... Uh, oh, it's a vacuum, right? Yeah. That's right. It's, it doesn't lose suction. It's a, it's a vacuum that never loses suction as it goes from space. You're thinking of the Dyson black hole. It's a completely different thing, and you can't get it at Target. Oh. But the Dyson sphere is... Now, let's say we could build a structure that could actually encompass the sun. Okay? Mm, okay. And so if we could actually encompass, the, build a structure that could actually go around the sun... That's big. We... Now, first of all, that would be the the biggest structure ever. It's I huge. Mean, <laughs> oh man, oh, that's man. a crazy big structure. <laughs> look at that Dyson sphere, baby. That's huge. <laughs> uh, tiny Elvis. <laughs> and so the Dyson sphere would surround the entire, and we'd be able to use all the power it creates to do whatever we wanted with it. Uh, to send messages out to the other side of the galaxy, to travel to the other side of the galaxy, to all the kind of power that, that people say that we would require to do crazy things like faster than light travel. Well, some, they said if we can uh, do faster than light travel, you would need a, such a crazy amount of power, you'd need the power of a star. Okay. okay. So that's what the Dyson sphere is possible with. Now, there is a, uh, a book series called Hyperion written by a guy named Dan Simmons. And there's uh, a bunch of characters. This takes place in the, in the far future of humanity. And there's a bunch of characters that like live inside a Dyson sphere. So if you're interested in knowing kind of what a fictional representation of a Dyson sphere would be like, then that's a that's an excellent uh, book series to read, Hyperion. Or there's a Star Trek episode that has a Dyson sphere in it. Uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, actually, it's uh, got Scotty, 
it's 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 the one where Scotty shows up in the next generation. Like everybody thinks he's dead, and he's not. Oh, awesome! You know, he's like caught in a transporter beam or whatever, and then he shows up on the new Enterprise, and he feels the episode's called Relics. Okay, and you know how Scotty was always saving the day with his last minute. Yeah. Oh, I can. I figured it out, Captain. I got it. Well, he can't do that on the next generation Enterprise because it's way past his technology. So it's kind of how Scotty, like, it's just how Scotty feels like a relic. He doesn't feel the same. Well, how he originally got lost in the first place is that he was going, uh, he was exploring a Dyson Sphere, an alien Dyson Sphere civilization. So that's where that episode begins. Relics, if you're, if you're up for a little Star Trek The Next Generation, I think you can find that one on Netflix. That's a fun one. But anyways, the reason I wanted to talk about that was the fact that everybody's so excited to get these kind of messages because any civilization that had that kind of technology, like we'd be able to like see them, right. you know, like they might be, they might be able to show up. Yeah. Like they send a message, you know, like an RSVP or something like that. You know, we did send out the Voyager satellite with that, right. with that gold record on it. <laughs> so we sent out the Voyager satellite with the gold and they use that in so many science fiction shows that the aliens that, uh, that was in the show V that the aliens had found the Voyager satellite and that's how they knew where Earth was. Right. And there's a couple other shows too. It's like, oh, the Void, we led them to us. V'ger. Yeah, from the original motion picture. That's a, that's a classic <laughs> if you got three, and a, if you got three and a half hours. So if the aliens could have that potential of power, that means they might be able to come visit, which would be pretty awesome. So that's one of the reasons people get excited. So that's a type, a type two Kardashev civilization is able to harness the power of a star. Okay. Able to build a Dyson sphere. Now, a type three civilization means they could harness the power of their galaxy. Ooh, look out. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what you could do with that. You know, like it blows my little human mind. Yeah. Like, what would you do with the power of a galaxy? Like, you'd never have to charge your iPhone again. You'd be the master of the universe. Right. That, that's about it. So Michio Kaku, he's that cool looking silver haired scientist. You know, he's like a theoretical physicist that will, that it's okay to talk about weird stuff. Like he, he, he's pretty cool with it. And, but he's, I mean, he keeps it very scientific, but they use him for all the science fiction stuff and on documentaries and everything. And he says that humans might attain type one status in a hundred to 200 years, type two status, which would be a Dyson sphere in thousands, several thousand years yeah, that's and type three status, type three in like a million years. Well, now humans haven't even been around a million right. years. <laughs> and when you think a million years ago, we were basically good looking apes. Hmm. You know, to think about to where, so we were good looking apes and now we have Snapchat. <laughs> so think about the technological jump it would be to get to a type <laughs> three civilization in a million years. Well, some of those Snapchat things are pretty advanced, you know, when they turn you into a, like a reptile character or like, yeah, no, I, the Snapchat image, like the Snapchat effect stuff is, is what makes it fun. <laughs> like, it. Hey, we all love the face swap, right? We all love the face swap. So that's one of the reasons they're excited about getting this kind of signal from some, somewhere that far away, because they would have to have a wicked amount of energy, which means it'd be a really advanced civilization, yeah. which would be super exciting. So that's pretty exciting. But how are they seeing these things? You know, I guess we haven't talked about 
what a radio telescope is. Ah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. We all know what a telescope is. Like everybody had one as a, as a kid or something. We know what binoculars yeah. are. You know what, what visible light telescopes are. But if you ask somebody like, well, what does a radio telescope do? They might just be like, ah, I don't know, it picks up radio <laughs> waves. You, you would be correct. But it is like the radio in your car. It does pick up, I mean, radio waves that goes over. But obviously it's a lot bigger because the radio in your car, like the antenna is like that little strip on the back or whatever. And some, some cars still have those actual antennas. But it's, it, the radio telescope is much bigger, more sensitive, and it's able to create a visual picture of the signals it receives. So they can create a picture of the sky of what radio waves are in the sky. So it's looking for waves that are completely invisible to the human eyes. That's kind of what a, so a radio telescope is like a gigantic antenna for picking up those things. Yeah. And it's able to, it's able to represent what the sky looks like as far as energy goes. Okay. And that's like in the movie Contact where they have the big yeah. like, satellite dishes all pointing up. That's what it makes me think of. Yeah. Well, you know what it makes me think of? What? Goldeneye. Oh, yeah. The very end of Goldeneye actually takes place at the uh, radio telescope in Arecibo, Puerto Rico. And I've got a picture of me at the radio telescope in Arecibo, Puerto Rico that I'll, I'll put up because um, I had to make a pilgrimage there on a trip to oh, Puerto Rico. Fun. I, yeah, because you wanted to see. And also when I used to do SETI at home, it would always be, that's where my SETI messages cool. were coming from, the, the radio telescope at Arecibo. And it, it's, it's like up this really green, huge mountain. Okay. And it's not like right by the freeway. It takes like a half an hour to get there from the freeway. Wow. So you drive up the mountain and there's a little visitor center and I've got a little Arecibo like coffee thermos. <laughs> <laughs> that was my thing. I'm like, yeah. hey. That's um, cool. It was the world's biggest radio telescope for a long time. And at the end of GoldenEye, Pierce Brosnan is chasing Sean Bean down uh, the telescope in, in Arecibo. And actually, my, um, my TA, my teaching assistant for my Astronomy 100 class, had, was able to uh, be there for six months. Awesome. Well, you've got all kind of connections to that place. Yeah. Uh, so I always wanted to visit there. It was funny because I was like 19 and I'm asking the guy, I'm like, oh man, you're in Puerto Rico for six months. Did you go to the beach? And he's like, oh dude, I, I didn't have a car and I was up the mountain. Like I got up there and I was just up there. <laughs> so he basically just hung out in the mountains of Puerto Rico for six months. And because I was like, oh, did you, you know, go into, because yeah. it's, it's maybe 45 minutes outside of San Juan. So it's close enough to the biggest city of Puerto Rico and plenty of action. It's fun. You know, like, I'm like, hey, did you? I, I mean, I go there on vacation. The idea of being able to spend six months and working there sounds exciting. And he's, and he's just like, nah, once you're up, it's like, it was awesome. But like, once you're up the mountain, you're up the you're, mountain. You're not coming down <laughs> to go for a swim. <laughs> all right. Huh. All right. All right. Interesting. Cool. So, and also Arecibo is featured in an X-Files episode. The first, uh, the first episode of season two is called Little Green Men. Okay. And Mulder, like... The, the X-Files have been broken up at the end of the first season. Spoiler alert for a 22-year-old oh, <laughs> show. Yeah, I ruined it for you. So Mulder and Scully's back teaching at the FBI Academy. Mulder's like doing some kind of wiretap thing. This is before Homeland Security. Like today it would have him, he'd be working on domestic terrorism sure. or something like that. And he's bored, so he's still investigating aliens on the side. And he hears about 
that they found a signal at the Ares, from the Arecibo radio telescope. So he sneaks down to Puerto Rico with this other guy named Jorge, and they're running around the radio telescope and everything. And Mulder gets knocked out, and that's the first time you actually see an alien on the X-Files. Oh, that's awesome. Is like it, Mulder gets knocked out, and then they an alien show like, it. walks. They show it. And then leaves, and then he wakes up, and it's like, well, I don't know. He, so he misses it. Of course. So that was the first time you saw an alien in X Files was that little green men, and that was at the Arecibo cool. radio telescope in Puerto Rico. So, I mean, radio telescopes, you were absolutely right, featured in Contact. I love that movie. And there's also a brand new movie that I believe it just got shown at a festival, and it, I don't think it's out yet, called Arrival. Mm. And it's about first contact between humans and, and aliens. And a radio telescope features very prominently and astronomers feature prominently, but it's not like an alien invasion movie. It's supposed to be like, what would happen if aliens landed? They want to make contact. Like they don't, like they don't want to blow up the empire state building or anything. Like they don't want to come down <laughs> and you know, they're they not don't want our, just here to eat us. Yeah. Or it's always in, the, everybody wants to steal our water. <laughs> And it's funny, aliens eating us. We'll talk about that in a, mm-hmm. in a minute. But uh, so there's a movie called Arrival that's just come out. Ooh. But there's another 20 year old movie that I'd like to recommend okay. about aliens that want to take Ooh. over the planet that came out the same year as Independence Day, but it didn't get the. Uh, well, Independence Day was a big deal. The original Independence Day. Yeah, right. I, haven't, I still haven't seen the new one. Me neither. Is it in the budget theater yet? We should go check out a cheap. Uh... I, I, we should totally because we can pay like a dollar fifty to see yeah. which with the cultural impact the sequel had I think a dollar fifty may be what we should be paying for it <laughs> but definitely it's seen it at a budget anyway this movie's called uh, The Arrival and it's Charlie Sheen as a radio astronomer okay if you can if you can believe Charlie Sheen as a radio astronomer He's, sure it's not like it's not like he sees stuff. You know, he like, he's like looking through all the data. He's like, winning! <laughs> or he's just like a total womanizer, like hitting on <laughs> right. all the female scientists and stuff. <laughs> right. So this is, this is before Charlie Sheen had his big resurgence with Two and a Half Men and yeah. after his initial like big comedies that were successful. So he's got a goatee, kind of chubby. I mean, he's still a good looking guy. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's kind of Charlie Sheen in his mid-period. And it's a fantastic alien invasion movie. And it features uh, Charlie Sheen as a radio astronomer. And it, not a lot of people have seen it. It's called The Arrival. You're going to love how these aliens walk. If you don't know what I mean, see the movie and you will. Okay. And I mean, Charlie Sheen, we, we're going to have to talk about him on the show more eventually because uh, he's a 9-11 truther. His father, <sighs> yes. Martin Sheen doesn't even believe OJ's guilty. Martin Sheen d- believes in the conspiracy wow. against OJ Simpson. So the Sheen family, I think they're ripe for some kind of conspiracy deconstruction sometime. <laughs> Definitely. And may- well, we might have to leave out Emilio Estevez because he, he, he seems like the same one. <laughs> like Emilio, he's like the guy, he's like he kept his original name. Yeah, that's He's true. making good movies. He's respected. <laughs> he's not on, you know, some 72-hour cocaine vendor. And, not that we know of. Uh, right. Right, if you are Emilio, that's great. But anyway, this has nothing to do with The Arrival. It's a great radio telescope movie. Um, with Probably the science is horrible in it, but the action is great. That's so that, cool. that's a good one to pick up if you're into radio telescopes. And I don't, you know, I was looking up earlier today, radio telescopes in film. Yeah. And I think I saw one 
page about it. That was pretty old. So I think when we put up the show notes at othersidepodcast.com yeah. slash 108, this will now be the internet standard for discussing radio telescopes in science fiction films. The definitive guide. <laughs> right, that you can find a C on the other side for the definitive guide to radio telescopes and sci-fi movies. So, <clears throat> all right. The latest signal was super exciting, and it was picked up by this uh, radio telescope in the uh, former Soviet Union, Russia. Now, here's the news that just came out Uh-oh. that's probably, well, but this is kind of a downer. <laughs> oh, it's going to dash our hopes and dreams. Right. So experts are warning that the signal might merely be interference and possibly military in origin. <sighs> and now it seems that's the case. They're okay. always doing that. So the signal came from the same direction as the star system we were talking about, HD 164595, which sits in the Hercules constellation, and it's got a sun-like star. But at SETI, they weren't able to detect the signal. And so uh, Seth Shostak, we were discussing the face of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. He posted on his blog that both Russian news agencies and the Russian Academy of Sciences have now concluded that the signal is quote, indeed terrestrial interference. Okay, so first of all, am I correct in understanding yeah. that this signal actually was discovered in 2015? May of 2015. Right, okay. So, and they've kept it secret and they just last week revealed to the world, right? Well, it was mentioned in a recent scientific presentation by Russian astronomers and Italian researcher Claudio Maccioni who chairs the International Academy of Astronautics Permanent SETI Committee. Mm-hmm. So they just had a presentation like this past cu- couple weeks. Right, but it's like the general public didn't know about it. Until Monday. That's why it was news this week, but it, they found it over a year ago. Yeah, so the, <laughs> the Russians have known about it for a long time, and it just got released at a SETI convention, Yeah, like a, so, SETI, a SETI conference this week. But they've known about it that long. Don't you think they would have disproven it? By now, it's just like, I don't know. Well, the thing is that you can go through the logs of the rest of the radio telescopes that were pointed in that direction in that same time. So if you say that, let's mm. say it was May 16th, 2015 at 11 p.m. So you would look at the radio telescope. Okay, was Arecibo pointed that way? Was the, the West Virginia one pointed that way? Was the one in Ohio pointed that way? You know? Yeah. And so I think that's what they did. And then... They couldn't corroborate. Huh. So that's what, makes every, that's what makes everybody a little sad. Oh, definitely. So here is the director of the Institute of Applied Astronomy at the Russian Academy of Science. Okay. Now look at that. Now that, that's a serious that is. The director of Applied Astronomy at the Russian Academy of Science. Big time. Alexander Ipadov. We indeed discovered an unusual signal. However, an additional check showed that it was emanating from a, a military satellite Uh, which had not been entered into any of the catalogs of celestial bodies. It can be said with confidence that no sought-for signal has been detected yet. Okay. Now that's... Uh, And that's the the quote that makes Daddy cry a little bit. But... (laughs) But... Like, is this the cover-up? You know what I mean? 
Like, are they covering this up now? Well, that's why I was saying, like, you'd think if they found it and they've had a year to look through all this stuff, and then it's just funny that it wasn't until they announced it publicly, and then all of a sudden somebody disproves it, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. that's the part that I found interesting. Yeah, I mean, and, and especially because the media took it seriously, which usually think, I mean, now when they're taking the backtracking, now the jokes are coming out. Oh, like the NPR story I just quoted from. The NPR story is like, oh, it wasn't the Vulcans. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you got to make some Vulcans joke. That I hate that person that wrote that article. Because that, cause it's like, you can't even make something clever. It's like, we're going to take something yeah. that even, even the mainstream knows because they know Mr. Sparks of Vulcan. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I want to punch that guy in his stupid face. Pandering. Well, the thing is, they have to take these things a little more seriously because this isn't the first time in the past year even that we've discovered, uh, not we, like not you and I. No. I mean, we, we've been talking about these things, but it's not like we're, like we're not radio astronomers. We're not Charlie Sheen. Right. We, <laughs> humans ha- have discovered in the past year a couple of signals from places that, well, strange patterns that make it look like it could be a Dyson sphere star. Okay. So this is coming more regularly now, and, and they're covering it. And because the internet, it's the rush to cover it in the first place. True, That's true. why they're going to do it. Okay. So researchers just found a second Dyson sphere star. And this is yes. um, today. This came Whoa. Out. Okay, so last October, they discover a strange pattern of light near a distant star called KIC 8462852, so for your lottery, and it says it was like nothing anyone had ever observed before. When a planet passes in front of the star, the star's brightness usually dips by around 1%, but KIC 8462852 has been experiencing dips of up to 22%, suggesting that something huge is zooming past. And now a a second star with strange dips in brightness has been identified. It's hard to keep saying. When it dips, dips. I dip, you dip, we dip. (laughs) Dip. Dip. So (laughs) the second star named Epic 204278916. The star is estimated to be the size of our sun in diameter, but only half its mass. Oh. Oh, so it's got the waist, it's got the waistline, but it doesn't have the weight. Huh. You know, I'd feel, I'd feel, I think that star got a bad, got a bad rap. Because it's just as big as the other, you know, as our sun, but it's just, not, you know, not as hefty. It was discovered by uh, Kepler, the spacecraft in 2014. And so they've been keeping tabs on its light curves. So light curves is an alternate word for dips in light. Dips. Mm-hmm. So uh, the researchers have reported that over 78.8 days of observation, that EPIC 204278916 displayed a regular dimming of up to 65% for around 65, uh, 25 consecutive days. Wow. So what, what could be big enough that could cause a star's brightness to change that much? Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. So... There's theories about it that it could be a swarm of comets. It could be a distorted star um, that's got, you know, that's going through like a Marshall cabinet. 
<laughs> mwah, mwah. Hey. There's one for the um, band people. Right. <sighs> no, a store to start spins so fast, it becomes um, oblate, which means it has a larger radius at the equator than it does at the poles. Hmm. So that's... It's like an egg. That's some science... Yeah. And, well, I like to refer to it as oblate. <laughs> okay, you go ahead. Yeah, man, that that that's that thing's totally oblate, baby. Oblate, right? And, and people are saying that it might be a Dyson sphere. You know, that's the, that's the whole thing that people want it to be a Dyson sphere because yeah. that would be awesome. Because that means that the aliens could come by and hang out. That'd be so cool. So maybe that's two in the same year, and and plus this latest like blip in the you know the signal coming from space. Yeah, when. The last real big signal, the original signal, happened in 1977. So we haven't had something like this since 1977. And they call it, okay, they call it the wow signal. Wow. All right. Wow. (laughs) Wow. And the reason they call it the wow signal. This is cute. Is because when... It was at Ohio State University Radio Observatory. So this is happening at, they call it the Big Ear Radio Techno, uh, Big Ear Radio Telescope at Ohio State. This is okay. 1977. Good and year. This extru- <laughs> it's pretty good. It's, 1976 is a touch better vintage, but 77 has some qualities. <laughs> and they, they hear this extremely strong signal coming from the constellation Sagittarius. And if you know Sagittarians like I do, well, their, their, their signals are nice. extremely strong. So the signal lasted for 72 uh. seconds, one minute and 12 seconds, and then it was never heard from again. It's a pretty long time. Yeah. So, so the guy working on it, like, circles the signal, like, in red yeah. and writes, wow. I know. It's cool that they, they have the record of that, too. Like, yeah, the picture of it. We'll put the picture up at othersidepodcast.com slash 108. It's got very nice handwriting. He does. He does. A little, uh, it's a very nice script. When yeah. people still did, cur- when people still wrote in cursive. That's right. And so, and that's the thing. What we wanted to hear was another one. You know, like we right. wanted another wow. Something that substantial. Yeah. But they just can't quite figure out what it was or anything. So in the past couple of years, there's been a new theory about what the wow signal might have been. Okay. From Antonio Paris, a professor of astronomy at St. Petersburg College in Florida. Uh, St. Petersburg has some wicked ghost horrors I heard too. So I'd like to check those out sometime. Actually, our interview with Chris Boras, who uh, wrote a book called The Rules of the Dead. Right. He he describes his excitement at the lighthouse in St. Petersburg. So Antonio Paris. Uh, professor of astronomy at that college in Florida, has proposed a theory that suggests the signal may not be aliens, but might be just a passing comet. Hmm. Okay. And C says he was driving. He was in his, in his car, man. And he wondered if a planetary body moving fast enough could be the source. And it just so happens that two comets, uh, 266P Christensen and P2008Y2 Gibbs, I, I don't know how they name things in astronomy. It's just, it's always off. I know they have to do numbers because there's billions and billions and <laughs> I just walked into the billions and billions of stars thing. You're totally billions dead. Oh my gosh. Billions. Without even knowing I walked into it. Um, 
they ha- those comets have orbits that would have put them in position in 1977 to be the source of the signal. And neither of them were discovered in 1977. So people wouldn't know about them. You know, they wouldn't assume it was a comet because they didn't know the comet was there. So when, when comets pass close enough to the sun, they release a lot of hydrogen. And it's possible that hydrogen being shed in this way could emit at the same wavelength as the wow signal. Mm. So there is a possibility. Now, here's good news, science lovers. Uh, January 25th, 2017, one of the comets is coming back. And it means it can be analyzed to see if their hydrogen signature matches the wow signal. Gibbs yes. is coming back in 2018 to see if the, uh, the hydrogen signature matches. So I assume somebody's on this. I assume that this guy, Antonio Paris, is on this so that we can figure out if the wow, if the wow signal that was found in 1977 for one minute and 12 seconds and never heard from again. Yeah. We find out. Well, that's good. We have something to yeah. look forward to. I was going to say, like, you know, I wasn't looking forward to a lot in 2017. <laughs> Maybe the next Thor movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because there's not another new Avengers movie out to 2018. So, like, what am I going to do for the next two years? And there's no Doctor Who until 2017. Anyway, so, oh, he, and he started a crowdsourcing campaign to buy a radio telescope. So, he doesn't have a radio telescope. And so, he tries <laughs> to get your money on, like, GoFundMe oh. or something. <laughs> okay. It didn't make it. Oh. So, sorry, Antonio, but you can always walk over to see if the, your friends at SETI will take a look for you, too. So. Yeah. You know, it was funny, though, like, because people have talked about the wow signal in this kind of, uh, about aliens and stuff like that for years. And every time I see the wow with a uh, exclamation point after it, I do get, I'm, I'm, I think about the wow signal yeah. since I first heard about it when it's I was pretty like sweet. You know, 12. And it's even funny. So the Colbert Report. Report. So Stephen Colbert. <laughs> that's uh, the Colbert Report. Stephen Colbert in 2012 did a uh, a response oh to the i saw signal. that that's great so uh it basically was uh, he asked the aliens three things you know he was responding to the wow signal yeah. and said number one we are not tasty we are not a good tasting <laughs> species so i told you we'd get back to we eating get, people we get stuck in your teeth and stuff like that he says <laughs> great right we're not tasty number two enough with the probes <laughs> yep okay we don't need to be probed anymore and number three, he was looking for an explanation of the film Prometheus. Well, hopefully when they get the transmission, they'll have a sense of humor. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise it could be very confusing. Right. Because, well, what if their word for, you know, <sighs> like, what if they just think we have, uh, we've got poor taste. Well, we're humans. We do have poor taste in most things. Yeah. yeah. Um, some of us more than others. And if, and especially if they do watch the film Prometheus, which had some, gaping logic holes but so special effects were amazing <laughs> so no the the wow signal has been featured uh you know in, in a bunch of things in pop culture yeah. since then and you know just to talk a little bit more about these kardashev type civilizations that we discussed okay. we talked about how powerful that a civilization would have to be in order to be able to send a kind of signal like the wow signal or the second one, wow, two. So let's, let's say, what would it be like if we're even a Kardashev type one civilization Ooh. where we could harness the power of the entire world? Oh my gosh. There was a good article written about it. So here's the quote. If you lived in a type one civilization, you wouldn't need to worry about earthquakes, tornadoes, or other catastrophic phenomena. Oh, that'd be nice. 
wouldn't it be nice? Right? Because we just had, yeah. uh, Florida has its first hurricane in like 12 years, doesn't it? And those things the are horrible. Florida, yeah. They are. You know, when I was a kid, I always thought that, you know, the hurricane, like, I didn't realize that a hurricane was different than a tornado. I just, you know, because when a tornado comes in the Midwest, so when you grew up in the Midwest, for people in the Midwest, when a tornado comes, you just run downstairs as quickly yeah, as possible. It's terrifying. And, you know, and we never... We never had any t- tornadoes really touch down in my hometown or anything like that. And my house I grew up in was like in a little valley, so I wouldn't really have to worry about it anyway. But the tornado still terrified me. And there were still some times we went to the basement when you heard like the civil defense air raid siren. Right. Did you ever hear that growing <laughs> up? This- yeah. You know, run. it's time to go to the basement. And, uh, and we had tornado drills in school where you'd learn how to put your hands over your head and everything so you wouldn't hit, get hit by a flying chair or a piece of glass. So tornadoes are terrifying. So when I was a kid, I thought that hurricanes were the exact same. And I'm like, these people know for a couple weeks that a hurricane's coming. Why aren't they leaving? <laughs> do they all want to just be in their basement for weeks? Like, what are they doing? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't realize that a hurricane's just a really bad storm. And it doesn't have, I mean, it's got, it's windy, but it's not tornado force wind. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you wouldn't have to worry about that. But but anybody that's having to deal with the hurricane in Florida now, you know, obviously, my heart goes out to you. Definitely, so, it's terrible. Hor- horrifying natural disasters like Pompeii, <laughs> yeah, the 2004 South Asian tsunami, and you remember that? Oh tsunami. my gosh, tragedy! If you want to get some idea of how that tsunami would look when it hits, oh. there's a movie called Hereafter. By Clint Eastwood. It's got Matt Damon in it too. Matt Damon. <laughs> and in Hereafter, the whole beginning is when the tsunami hits a beach. So it's a really good special effects and everything of like how it would be if you were somewhere where a tsunami actually hit. And the, I mean, it's so terrifying. <laughs> so terrifying. But it's, yeah. it's a good movie. Anyway, all these cataclysms be things of the past because harnessing the power of the planet means controlling weather patterns. Controlling plate tectonics, oceanic currents, wow. <laughs> controlling volcanoes. So type one civilizations are able to manipulate and in many ways manufacture their old world. That's amazing to think about. Like if we could program the rain, like if you would say to like, so we would, I mean, this is definitely something that I would want because you would say, okay, guys, we're going to make sure there's enough rain for the farmers. That's fine. But we're going to schedule the rain so that we don't have to deal with it you know yeah so we don't we're going to schedule the rain so it doesn't interfere with our beach days oh it'd be so great <laughs> yeah that would be so great so you know type one civilization has mega cities that stretch across the globe too cool So a type one civil it would be a, a global culture like a one world kind of government kind of thing uh which i mean a lot of people are terrified by i always thought it was cool when i was a kid but I can see why people would be terrified, why, why like coast-to-coast listeners and Alex Jones would be terrified by it. And then type one civilizations won't have war, won't have genocide, because it, it's one people living peacefully. Single global culture that's able to, to handle droughts, to handle uh, food production, to make sure that everybody has clean water. Um, the type one civilization is like the Star Trek utopia that we all hope for. So the type one, uh, that's why Mitch Yukako, I think he's being optimistic to think that we can get there one to 200. Yeah, that, that's a but lot. I, that's a, those are big changes. <laughs> yeah, those are huge changes. But the idea that we might be able to 
are in this third. I mean, remember China and the Beijing Olympics? Everybody was saying that they were going to, uh, you know, like program the rain. <laughs> I don't remember that, but that's. Yeah, that they were that like seeding the cl- they were seeding the clouds. They were doing everything to to clean up Beijing, to suck up wow. all the pollution, to you know. And maybe the Chinese are doing it. They're taking us to a type one civilization faster. And for that, I appreciate it. There you go. So hopefully one day we will be a type two civilization that's able to send a wow signal back and communicate with those people that got us with the first wow and maybe the second wow last year, but that we just, uh, that's being covered up by the Russian Academy of Science. There you go. Yeah. We can only hope, right? but so for people who are asking us and, and they were interested in learning more about the possibilities uh, that came from this signal that was discovered last year, well, there you go. Looks like officially the word on the streets is that it wasn't an alien signal. <sighs> I, of course, I, of course, like to think differently. Yes, let's hope. We always have hope. <laughs> yep. You know who else likes to think differently, Wendy? Who? Our friends at the Singular Fordian. Let me tell you about them oh, real quick. And, okay. Um, that's a Madison blog. So Madison, okay. Wisconsin, where, where Wendy and I are based too. It's a Madison blog uh, that is also doing paranormal investigations. Ooh, fun. And having events and stuff like that. So the Singular Fortean features like new articles and pictures and uh, cartoons and stuff like that on their website all the time. And uh, I thought I'd do a quick conversation with Tobias oh. Wayland up. Tobias Whalen is a badass name too. Yes, it is. Like, like that's the kind of name. That, that's the name of like a star of a in a TV show or an adventure series. Tobias Whalen, like a superhero. Like, right. Nobody ever. Nobody ever says the star of their adventure series is the last name Huberty. Trust oh, me. Oh, not that yet. One. Not yet, Mike. Not yet. Give it time. But, but but he's got a he's got a sweet name. Also, write some really interesting articles. And so I took a moment to talk to Tobias to talk about. Uh, his latest article in the Singular Fortean and what you can find there. Great. So I want you to check it out. All right. And now I'm here with Tobias Wayland talking to him on a Friday night, interrupting his gaming session. What game are you playing tonight, Tobias? So we are playing Call of Cthulhu, the tabletop role-playing game. Oh man. Tabletop role-playing in the world of HP Lovecraft. And if okay, if I remember correctly, Call of Cthulhu is the game where you have to roll against going insane. Correct? Absolutely. So, like sanity is tenuous at best in this game, just like the the greatest works of the uh, the, the author himself. Oh man! Well, I tell you, sanity is tenuous at best in in most of if my uh, adventures. And we want to talk a little <laughs> bit. We want to introduce the see on the other side listeners uh, to your adventures, which you do at a site called the Singular Fordian. And um, what is the Singular Fordian all about? Well, sure. Well, we're the the Singular Fordian Society, and uh, and what we do is. Sort of in the uh, same vein as, as Charles Fort, uh, we take a journalistic uh, look at, at weird news stories from all over the world. And, and, and we're definitely not uh, averse to, you know, uh, getting down and dirty ourselves and going out and investigating things. But uh, primarily what we're interested in doing is going out and taking a look at weirdness and, uh, and then sharing those stories with everybody else. Okay, very cool. And uh, people can find that at singularfortean.com. And of course, the uh, 
Link will be in the show notes for this week's podcast. But let's give people a preview of an upcoming article to talk about the kind of stuff you do in the Singular 40. So the Singular 40, number one, is you, Tobias Whalen, and it's also who you joined by. Uh, that would be my fiance and partner, uh, Emily Bartos, who is a very talented designer and photographer. Okay, so you kind of handle the words and she handles the pictures? Absolutely. Like, if, if anybody likes our website, it's probably mostly because she put it together in a way that is absolutely stunning. Okay, very cool. Now, uh, you were talking offline real quick about an event you just went to where you took some of Emily's pictures, and then you're going to talk about this a little in your upcoming stuff. What was that event called? Yeah, definitely. Uh, that was The Art of Darkness, and uh, it was put on by the Banfield Lock uh, uh, Center for the Arts up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And what they do is they uh, it's, it's an art show, and they collect uh, paranormal-themed art from all over the country, and I believe all over the world. And so uh, Emily actually had two different illustrations that she had submitted. And uh, so we thought, you know, it would be fun to, to, since she had a couple submissions anyway, go up there and, you know, kind of check it out and, and see what their paranormal scene's all about and, and kind of, you know, check out the, the different art. Okay. And so what kind of stuff did Emily submit for it? Well, she had two different illustrations. Um, I believe they were, they were both colored pencil. And she did one classic uh, Sasquatch, um, sort of posing in that classic uh, uh, Gimlin Patterson footage pose with the head turned and the, and the arms waving by its side. Oh, yeah. You know, you can buy uh, like silhouettes for your uh, yeah. driveway now. I, I've, there's a certain house on the way up north if, in, in Wisconsin, if you're going up north, heading up uh, huh. the freeway up to Wausau. They actually, somebody actually has that Patterson Bigfoot like snuck out there. <laughs> That's great. Um, and, well, and then her, her, her other piece, which actually is, is one of my favorite uh, uh, Fordian stories of all time, uh, was of the Kelly Hopkins, uh, Hopkinsville uh, goblins. So back in the 50s, uh, in rural Kentucky, uh, just between the tiny towns of Kelly and Hopkinsville, uh, there was this family uh, on this rural homestead who uh, uh, reportedly were beset for an entire night by these goblins that they, that they shot at and fought. And, and it's mm. just, it's, it's a wild story. And uh, I mean, it's, if you look into it, it was actually, it was weird enough and they were earnest enough that the sheriff at the time took them pretty seriously. But it, it, it's always been one of my favorite stories ever since I was a kid. Oh man, and she did some art related to that. And so that was one of the things in the Art of Darkness. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, okay, I know that you liked her stuff the best, of course, but uh, <laughs> of some of the other uh, pieces of art, what, what were a couple of your favorites? Sure. Um, there were a lot of good designs and things, although some of the most original that I really enjoyed was somebody had put together a collection of snow globes um, with uh, uh, Bigfoot and, and Yeti in them, which I thought were just particularly interesting, not only for the, the uh, theme, but sort of the, the design behind it, because I, I really hadn't seen anything like that before. Mm -hmm. um, there are also a couple of interesting installations. Uh, there's a guy, and um, boy, I'm sorry, I can't think of his name, but sure. he had uh, investigated, because the, the, the Banfield Lock Center itself is reputedly haunted, so mm. he had put together, yeah, uh, he, had, he had put together a couple of installations um, sort of surrounding 
his own uh, forays into the supernatural. And, and I'm nowhere near a good enough artist myself to, to necessarily understand them. But, uh, but, but, but they were certainly very interesting, and we should have some pictures of them in the, uh, in, in, in the article so people can get a better idea of, of what I'm talking about. All right, fantastic. And so people can find all that stuff at uh, singularfordian.com, and you'll be able to find a, a special article about the art of darkness that uh, Emily and Tobias went to in Minneapolis. Okay. Absolutely. One more for our listeners, one more question. What was your first paranormal experience? Boy, my first paranormal experience, when I was a little kid, um, I grew up in Illinois, and I remember being terrified to go to bed because I, you know, I, would, I was that kid that always slept with the covers over his head because I don't know what it was, but something would, you know that feeling where somebody is like digging in and like tickling you just, just under your ribs? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, would, I would wake up to that, which in and of itself, you know, maybe it's sleep paralysis, who knows? But after I was awake, I, you know, I'd, I'd yank the covers over my head and something would be buffeting the sheets as though, you know, like with invisible hands. It was, it was the weirdest thing. Oh, man. So, I mean, you were like the boogeyman actually came to tickle you while you were sleeping. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good, pretty good. Well, thanks, Tobias, for joining us today. We're going to talk to you soon when you have another article, and then we'll see you hopefully at a singular Freudian Society event when you have it in Madison. And, of course, we'll let all of our listeners know. Thanks for joining us. All right, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Mike. All right, and you can find a link to that in the show notes at othersidepodcast.com slash 108. And if you had a good time listening today, and let's be honest, I know you did. Uh, and you feel and and you feel compelled to donate. Oh, isn't there a website where people can help out? Oh, you, yeah, I think there is. Wendy, I can't remember. It's uh, Wendy, can you look it up? I can't remember. Yeah, it's uh hold on. Othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Yeah. Oh my god. And that's a great place where if you're having if you have fun and enjoy listening to the podcast and enjoy listening to the songs we put out every week, you're helping us to make more podcasts, do cooler things, and make everything better. And so for those of you who have donated to the Patreon, uh, keep your eye out for some videos and some fun stuff coming up in September. And for those of you who are looking to donate, it's a great time to get involved. Sure Othersidepodcast.com slash donate. donate. And the song this week, though, well, we thought we'd keep it pretty basic. Because sometimes you see something that's so exciting, you don't have any other exclamation to say than, wow. <laughs> okay, and what's the name of this week's song, Mike? Well, that, that, that the name of this week's song is just going to be straight up, Wow. Just 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Oh, it wasn't the Vulcans. <laughs> and that's the quote that makes Daddy cry a little bit. Dips. Oops, oops, oops. Wait, before we go, though. Hey, what will we forget? We love our patrons on Patreon so much. We want to thank all of them and give a special shout out to Ned. Right on, Ned. Who donated at the level that we're going to thank him every show right here. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so thank you very much, sir. We love you. And thank you for help making this show possible. Yes. Thanks to all of our patrons and to you, listener, for listening today. Love you. Bye. Bye.